the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I know a place. This is Crosswalk Colorado Springs on 100.7 The Word. Here's your host, Bob Bender. And good afternoon. Welcome to Crosswalk Colorado Springs. Bob Bender, your host. And Matt West, my producer. Good afternoon, Matt. Hey, good afternoon. Tell you what, uh, fall is here. I love the summer. Summers are delicious here in Colorado Springs, but my lawn is burning up. And so I'm glad to see the fall weather, the rain, the cool weather. Yeah, my my yard as well, by the way. And I uh, I at least enjoy days like this where you don't have to run the AC in the car. You have those windows down. It's nice. I think we need a few more like this here in Colorado. Absolutely. You know, there are four seasons in Colorado, Matt. I don't believe it. I think we've got winter and summer and then maybe like a week of spring. Well, the, the way I look at it is we have four seasons. We have winter, more winter, still winter, and road repair. <laughs> <laughs> now that i can believe that i can believe that that's that's reality <laughs> but i love the summers love the fall because it's nice and cool well i promised you a a word a day today i'm praying through ezekiel and i came across the 30th chapter verse 20 matt that said the word of the lord came to me the word of the lord came to me this is God's word, and he does speak through it. And in the third chapter, verse, verse 13, Ezekiel said, Eat this book, and I did, and it tasted as honey. Could I encourage you to eat this book? That's a name of a book, by the way. Uh, Jim Peterson wrote a book, Eat This Book, How We Need to Internalize the Word of God. Good principle, right? Absolutely. And uh, perhaps not to be taken literally, I don't think. Don't actually yeah, eat right, the book, right? Right, right, yeah. Yep. Ingest it, marinate it, marinate in your heart, in your life. It is God's Word. Of course, there are two Greek words for the word word in the New Testament, logos and rhema. Logos, the majority of the cases, speaks to the written word. Rhema, R-H-E-M-A, speaks to the spoken word. So I pray God will give you a rhema each day. A verse a day keeps the devil away. Let him speak to your heart and take it to heart. Lord, thanks for your word. It is your word. You speak to us through it. Help us to hear and help us to obey in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Matt, I'm going to tell you a story, and I want to get your take on it after it's over, okay? Okay, sounds good. Hang with me. On the Pacific island of Kenewata, there lives a legend, the legend of Johnny Lingo. He lived on the neighboring island of Nurabandi, but the people of Kenewadi all spoke highly of him. Yet when they spoke, they smiled, and the smiles were slightly mocking. Get Johnny Lingo to f- help you find what you want and let him do the bargaining. You would be advised should you visit there and mention his name. Johnny Lingo knows how to make a deal. 
He's the brightest, strongest young man on the islands, and for his age, the richest, and since he was single, obviously the most eligible bachelor. Well, it came time for Johnny Lingo to find himself a wife. Now, there are no credit cards on Kenny much less currency, and a dowry had to be paid to the father for a wife, so cows were mostly used. Now, for the most unfortunate woman who happened to be plain, her father was lucky to get one cow. I hear that even chickens were used on occasion. Two or three cows would buy a fair to midland wife, and four to five a highly satisfactory one. No one had paid more than six cows for a wife in the history of the island. When I requested my wife Beverly's hand in marriage from her father, Matt, I was tempted to give him eight cows for her, but decided against it for fear of being misunderstood. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Johnny Lingo and Sarita Carew were childhood friends and later fell in love. Sam, her father, had already given Serena, his oldest beautiful daughter, away for five cows. He was afraid that Sarita would be left on his hands... That is, until Johnny came along as a suitor. The best Sam was hoping for was one cow. The family was urging Sam to ask for three cows, hold out for two, in the hopes he'd get one. Because Sarita was overweight and had acne, she walked with her shoulders hunched and her head lowered. She was scared of her own shadow and could not even carry on a conversation with anyone. She was socially inept and physically unattractive. Sam was worried further when Johnny Lingo came to see him to barter for Sarita, for his reputation had grown to the place that he had become the shrewdest young businessman in the island. Johnny came to visit Sam Carew to seal the deal. After they exchanged pleasantries, Johnny said, Sam, I would like to marry your daughter Sarita and I'm prepared to offer for her. And he paused, and Sam was hoping that he wouldn't get chickens for Sarita. Anyway, Johnny said, I'm prepared to offer for her eight cows. Obviously shocked, Sam asked, How many did you say? Eight cows. Sam quickly agreed, lest Johnny should change his mind. Sam wondered why such a shrewd businessman would pay a record amount for his plain daughter. The villagers grinned when they heard of this event. As they got special satisfaction from the fact that the sharpest trader in the island was bested by dull old Sam Carew. However, a strange and wonderful change began to play, take place in Sarita's life after they soon married. She lost weight. Her face cleared up, and she began to walk with her shoulders straight and her head held high. She became a social butterfly and eventually bore Johnny beautiful children. Johnny would say, When the women talked, they would boast of what their husbands paid for them. One says four cows, another maybe six. How does she feel, the woman who was sold for one or two? I wanted Sarita to be happy, yes. But I wanted more than that. I loved her and no other woman. You see, I wanted an eight-cow wife, and I got one. This story is adapted from a Woman's Day article by Patricia 
McGurr, and this legend applies to our lives. Matt, have you heard that story before? I haven't heard that story, and, and the whole time I was I was waiting for a joke about Johnny Lingo, knowing the lingo, but... That, uh, okay, uh, yeah, <laughs> it I, didn't I, go. I, I missed that one. Yeah. Thanks for throwing me under the bus on that one, but... <laughs> I think that's fascinating, though. I think it is, and I, I think uh, maybe, you know, it kind of talks about, you know, in, investing in your your partner or, you know, relationships and things like that, and also yeah. how you maybe can't quantify that with money or, well, in this case, uh, cows, I think. Right, right. right. <laughs> now, Matt, are you married? I'm not. I'm single. I'm a bachelor. All right. Well, I pray the Lord will give you an eight-cow wife. Maybe one day. Maybe one day, though, I uh, I don't know. I might have to clean up the house a little bit first. It looks like a bachelor house. Just, oh, man, just I know what you mean. I, <laughs> I lived in one of those myself. Well, the Lord bless you. I've got an eight-cow wife in Beverly. I don't call her that, lest I be misunderstood, but so blessed there. Let's think about the legend of Johnny Lingo. Let's think about how it impacts our lives as Christ followers is it uh, psychobabble or biblical? Let's think about it. And I believe, Matt, that this story, uh, in addition to what you said, very good insight, Matt, uh, this story applies to our lives in two ways as it intersects the cross. The cross is a symbol not only of God's great sacrifice for us in Jesus, but also a symbol of our relationships in this life to God as seen in the vertical beam, and to one another as seen in the horizontal beam. 1 John 3.16 states this dual relationship well. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for others. Let's unpack this in a minute and see how this story, this verse, can change your life. This is Crosswalk, Colorado Springs, on 100.7, The Word. Welcome back to Crosswalk this Friday afternoon. Thanks for joining us, Bob Bender, your host here. And I've told this story, the legend of Johnny Lingo, all over town, but of course never over the radio. And I hope and pray it impacts your life as much as it has impacted mine. First John 3.16, we know love by this, that he laid his life down for us. You see, as we consider the vertical beam of the cross, here's the deal. When we consider the price Jesus paid for us, we should be motivated to become the persons he's saved us to be. Just like Sarita was motivated to become the person Johnny Lingo desired, and she really desired for herself, when she thought about, wait a minute, somebody's paid eight cows for me, the most in the history of this island. I am motivated to be a better person and and to live up to the price that was paid for me. That's Sarita's mindset, you see. Jesus paid obviously more than eight cows for you. Would you reflect on the great price he paid for you? If the price of purchase has anything to do with the value of the product, as most prices do, then you are very valuable 
to God. We know love like this refers to an acquired understanding that has been gained through contemplation and experience. The perfect tense of this verb refers to a past encounter with Christ with ongoing present results affecting one's present life. Is that true in your case? John's knowledge of the nature of this love was made known, obviously, at Calvary, yet it is a love which continually grows and develops in our lives. Let me ask you a question. Does your past encounter with Jesus continually lead to a growing understanding and appreciation of God's love for you in the present? It's interesting how the Apostle Paul referred to himself throughout his life, and his spiritual growth is an illustration of his growing understanding and appreciation of Christ's sacrifice on his behalf. Early in his ministry, 55 A.D., in 2 Corinthians, he referred to himself as the chief apostle. Seven years later, in Philippians, he refers to himself as a bondservant. In his last, next-to-last letter, he refers himself as chief of sinners, 1 Timothy 1.15. What's going on here? Paul went from chief of apostles to chief of sinners in ten years by his own testimony. I believe the more he reflected on what Christ had done for him, the more he appreciated it, and the more he saw himself needy in comparison to Jesus. How do you see yourself? Chief of those around you? Or chief of those in poor in spirit? Peter said in Matthew sixteen eighteen, Thou art the Christ, and in Acts ten twenty six, I am but a man. Sometimes we get those reversed. We are but people, and Jesus is the Christ. He's the one who's paid the greatest price, more than eight cows, for you. And the more I reflect on what Jesus has done for me, the more I'm motivated to become the person he saved me to be. You see, we become like Paul and Sarita when we consider that Jesus has paid much more than eight cows for us and has forgiven us our great sins. We know love by this, that he laid his life down for us. The price Jesus paid for you is obviously makes you worth a lot. Let us live up to that, to that person God's created us to be, saints, called saints in the Bible. And then the second part of the verse says, so we ought to lay down our lives for others. Let's consider the horizontal beam of this cross as it symbolizes our relationship to others. We ought to lay down our lives for others. Here's the second lesson we learn from the legend of Johnny Lingo. If we treat people the way we want them to become, chances are they'll become that person. Think about it with me. If we treat people the way we want them to become, chances are they'll become that person. You see, this is the real message behind the legend of Johnny Lingo, as Sarita was changed because she was treated the way Johnny wanted her to become, an eight-cow wife. Now, I recognize this, this principle does not work with 
everything or everybody, the Hitlers and the Putins and the Husseins and the Osama bin Ladens of the world, because they first must embrace the initial principle of this verse, knowing that Jesus laid down his life for us. But it works on more people than you realize. Reflect on how Jesus treated people and lifted them up to their potential. Consider how Jesus came to the adulterous woman and said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Consider how Jesus came to James and John and said, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Consider Jesus coming to Zacchaeus, who probably had a slow, a low self-image of himself anyway, and said, Today salvation has come to your house. He told Simon Peter, I'll build my church upon this rock of faith that you have exhibited. Consider how Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, revealing his preferred future for him. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. How he dealt with the woman at the well. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but I have water that you'll never thirst. You see, Jesus was the master of bringing people up to the next level by treating them the way he wanted them to become. Would you be like Jesus? Paul knew this principle when he referred to the most carnal church in the New Testament world, the church at Corinth, as saints twice in his introduction, reminding them who they were. And this principle applies to all of life. Think about it. If we treat people the way we want them to become, chances are they'll become that person You see, this applies to our identity. Our identity in the Old Testament. God changed Sarah's name to laughter. Abram to Abraham, father of many. He changed Jacob's name to Israel, striver with God and victor. Referring, you see, by renaming them his preferred future for them. In the New Testament, Jesus, as I said, in these instances did the same thing. He shows up at Matthew's party with a bunch of sinners. And by the way, a sinner saved by grace, is that the best definition of a Christian? I think not. Sinners sin, but we are saints. We're saints. This principle applies to our identity. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a person thinks in his heart, so is he. You see, we become who we see ourselves to be. It's called the mirror self. How did you get to where you are in life? Because of God and others. All that I am and all that I have is because of God and others. And so that makes me appreciate what God has done for me and is a motivation for me to pass it on. Would you pass it on? Ephesians 4.32 says, Let's be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This world could certainly use some kindness. Let's pass it on, treating people the way we want them to become. Chances are 
they'll become that person. And I'll share a couple of stories when we return in my own life, how it's changed my life and how it can change yours. See you back in a minute. Crosswalk, Colorado Springs on 100.7. The Word. Welcome back. We're talking about the legend of Johnny Lingo and how that first John 3.16, which is interesting take on John 3.16, we know love by this that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for others. So when we consider the price Jesus paid for us, we should be motivated to become the person he has saved us to be. And then laying down our life for others, if we treat people the way we want them to become, chances are they'll become that person. Matt, does that does that make any sense? That does. That does. And and kind of when you think about yeah. it, you know, we were talking about, you know, with um, you know, the story, you know, how uh, an eight cow wife, for the <laughs> lack of a better term, became what she thought she was, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, if we are each one Jesus people, and we have we live we can live up to that. I think I really see the it's just really powerful thinking about it that way. It puts it into a context that you don't normally think about. We say, yeah, I want to live up to Jesus. Well, that puts it in a way for you to really contextualize it. You bet. We're bought with the price, therefore glorify God with our bodies. The price is the what Jesus paid for us. We need to think about that every day. And we're moving into how we're treating others, how it impacts our lives, and how when we think about if we treat people the way we want them to become, chances are they'll become that person, how it impacts our identity, who we are in Christ, and how it impacts our potential, our mm-hmm. potential. Matt, did you have did you have a good did you have a good high school experience? You look sharp. You look sharp. I bet you're a BMOC. Just had a great high school experience. I, you know, I had a great time in high school, and I, I might confess, occasionally skipped class after lunch oh, to hang terrible. out with friends. Uh, what terrible. can I say? But unpardonable uh, sin. <laughs> but yes, I I did good. Mine was wasn't uh, so much until I met the Lord. Uh, before then, Matt. I was awkward, uh, left-footed. I was Sarita. I was Sarita. I was the, the red-headed, freckled-faced guy, and if I wasn't as big as I am, I would have gotten bullied. I got bullied a little. And so I, I was down on myself, a low self-image like Sarita, you know, before she met Johnny. And I couldn't even give an old book report in, in high school. I'd have to take a C just to hand one written in and just kind of— uh, just really down on myself. But when I met the Lord, he, he set me free. And I'll tell you what else set me free was uh, five of us were sitting down on the front row on a Wednesday night service. I'm Southern Baptist, so, you know, we go to church every time the doors open. And uh, we had our adult Bible study prayer meeting, mm-hmm. and then we went to our youth group. Okay. I don't know if that's your experience or not. We had the double dip, you know. <laughs> So we're sitting on the front row, and our pastor, N.N. Antonson, Trinity Baptist Church, Lawton, Oklahoma, my dad's military, gets up, and he says, now, I see five fine young men on the front row, and I've got five opportunities to preach here in the next six weeks. I, there's no way I can do all of them, so I'm going to need some help. So Matt, he just pointed to us right there in front of God and everybody, and gave us our assignments. He didn't let us know in advance. You know, he just said, now, Bobby Bender, you're going to the Fort Sill Indian School, and John Brooks, you're going to this nursing home, and and Billy Hall, you're going to that one, and Herman Rios, you're going to that one, and David Hawkins, you're going to the other one. 
Well, of course, we're shocked, but then, but then I began to, after the shock, you know, and I started preparing, I said, you know, somebody believes in me. Mm-hmm. My parents believed in me, but, you know, when they get outside of your family of origin, it makes a difference. Wow. Somebody believes in me, and he thinks I can do this. I think I can do this. So it impacts our potential when somebody comes alongside of us, and here's the deal. They see in us something we don't see in ourselves. Wow. And I would hope that, Matt, as you, you're a young man, as you continue to grow, I, I know that'll be the case. Some people will see something in you you don't see in yourself. I mean, I mean I've got this show because Chris Gould says, you know, I think you can do this. Well, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, and I think like, you know, when you think about it this way, we are, you know, each so powerful in influencing those those around us. Mm-hmm. And we are we have a, a responsibility almost to encourage those around go. us in the same way that Jesus encourages us as well. You bet. Good word. Good word. And I hope the Lord uh, will send someone your way, listener. And I hope you'll see something in somebody else. Maybe they don't see it themselves that they raise up and they become a better person, become all God saved them to be, their potential, because somebody believes in them. This uh, impacts all of life, friendships, parenting, uh, the workplace, this principle. It impacts people even when they're in crisis, a friend of he really wasn't a, a friend of mine. Didn't really know him that well. We'll, we'll call him Jim. His wife uh, came to me. I was pastor of the Baptist church in this town, and and uh, they went to the uh, Methodist church. But Jim was in an affair with the Methodist pastor's wife, and so his family, his wife, and his boys, who were friends with our uh, teenagers, our young people. Uh, she didn't have, a, have anywhere to go, so she just came to my office. What do we do, you know? And her husband's having an affair with her pastor's wife, and I say, oh, let's just hang in here. Let's pray and trust God and do the best we can with what we have here. We can't control uh, him. We can only control us. And so I just encouraged them not to give him any sticks to beat him over the head with, you know, try to be Christian. And the more I thought about this, you know, the more I think, uh, you know, somebody needs to talk to Jim. Obviously, his pastor's not going to. So I thought, you know, I I I, I knew him just casually. Uh, he was a, a an attorney, a trial attorney, had taken on mobile oil, made and won a, a six million dollar case. Uh, you know, cha-ching, forty percent of that. Uh, kind of a, a, a ego kind of guy, and you have to be, I guess, be a trial lawyer. So I got one of my lawyer friends, really my best friend at the time, and I said, let's let's go see Jim. And uh, my friend said, are you sure about this? And I said, yeah, somebody's got to speak truth into his life. Somebody's got to help him to see uh, something uh, maybe he doesn't see in himself. So we show up at his house one night as we're walking up. Uh, my friend says, now, are you sure about this, Bob? <laughs> He's kind of a little scared. You know, we came unannounced. And I said, yeah, let's go for it. So you pray, I'll talk, I said. So we walked, uh, knocked on the door. His wife came to the door, luckily, invited us in. So we're already in the house. And she goes back there and into Jim's office, and I hear them mumbling. And, and I hear her say, well, the Baptist preacher's here to see you. <laughs> Boy, that, that got his attention. Well, he came out uh, just uh, not excited we were there at all, kind of sold on himself. 
And he said, what do you want? Well, I said, we just want to visit a little bit. So he sat down and I said, uh, Jim, uh, um, man, let's, let's think about this. This, you know, you're, you're, you're a better man than this. You're a better man than this. Uh, please don't go through with this. Don't lose your family. He said, oh, I'm not going to lose my family. Real uh, kind of cocky, you know, and. And I said, okay, well, okay, we just want to come by and, and just pray with you and pray for you. He said, no, you're not going to pray for me. I said, Jim, I'm not going to throw you on, under the bus on, on this prayer. Let's just, let's just pray. And he said, okay, let's pray. So we prayed, and off we went. Well, that's, I thought that was the end of that. You know, we do what God nudges us to do. About two weeks, I get a phone call from him. He said, uh, we need to meet. And I said, okay, your officer mine. He said, he'll come on to my office. Went over to the lawyer's office, sat down, and he said, uh, yeah, you don't know this, but uh, my, girlfriend, my girlfriend, who, of course, is the Methodist pastor's wife, and I uh, were going to make a new life for ourselves. We had an apartment in, in a big city nearby, and, and we were going to start over. But then, you know, you came along, and and you helped me to see something I really hadn't hadn't seen. You helped me to 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 see who who I really was. And he said, because of that, I'm going to go back to my family. We're going to make a life for ourselves. And he did. And he be, and he got saved and came to know the Lord. Lead led a Bible study on that campus for 25 years. You see, if you treat people the way you want them to become, chances are they'll become that person. It works. And I'll tell you more stories when we return. This is Crosswalk, Colorado Springs, on 100.7, The Word. Welcome back. The legend of Johnny Lingo. If we treat people the way we want them to become, chances are they'll become that person. In my life, it happened because my pastor believed in me and he called me out. And I wouldn't be here today had he not called me out and saw something in myself I didn't see in my in myself. Jim, in Jim's case, his family he saved his family, uh, and uh, his family was was rescued. Obviously, what I mean there, and he became a Bible teacher at a, at the university there for twenty five years. The changes that can take place in our lives. When we apply this principle, it's true as it addresses our identity, as it addresses our potential. It's true in marriages. As one pastor said when a man came in and complained about his marriage, and he said this and that, it was negative, 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 and the pastor said, well, it seems like things are getting worse for you. And the married fellow said, yeah, things are getting worse. The pastor said, well, that's what you signed up for. <laughs> you signed up for better or worse. And in my pastoral counseling with couples, one or the other comes in, I'll tell the fellow, you know, when he's talking about his wife, how bad things are, I say, now, look, why don't you do this? Why don't you try to treat her like a queen for a month. They look at me like I'm crazy. And I said, no, just treat her like a queen for a month and see where that gets you. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs eighteen twenty one, life and death are in the power of the tongue. 
So let's breathe life on people, not death on people, especially in our marriages. And, you know, in a lot of cases, it paid off because it's a very wicked person who doesn't reciprocate in like kind with kindness. There are less than 100 verses on marriage in the Bible. Why is that? You'd think there'd be more. God has marriage on his heart. The reason I believe why there are so few verses on marriage in the Bible is because the 75% of a success of a marriage is just simply being Christian. Just being Christian. Treating our spouses the way we want them to become. Chances are they'll become that person. This principle works in conflicts. Romans 12.18 says, As much as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Proverbs 18.19, A brother or a sister offended is harder to be one than a strong city. So the principle there is don't offend your brother or sister, but sometimes that happens. So we've got to figure out the reason for every tone of voice. Because hurt people hurt people. And if we'll respond with with meekness and kindness, oftentimes it'll, it'll turn out a W for us. One of my churches, uh, they told me, the uh, deacons met, his deacon-run uh, church, and they said, we're going we're gonna to meet this Tuesday night and talk about some problems in the church. Well, I knew what they were going to talk about. They're going to talk about problems with me. So I called my mentor, and I said, looks like I'm in hot water. They're going to have a special deacons meeting and call me in there. And he said, Bob, whatever you do, don't defend yourself. I said, what? Unless it's a matter of integrity and morality, don't defend yourself. I thought, okay. So I sat there in the deacons meeting, and for about 30 minutes, one the other got up and complained about this, that, and the other. Nothing significant, but just the changes that had occurred in, the, in their church they didn't like. And then about 30 minutes, they said, now, Bob, I see you're, you've ever been taking notes, which I had because I wanted Beverly to hear what all they had to say. They said, the podium's yours to come up and say whatever you want to say. And I sat there, and I said, uh, they didn't even get up. I said, men, I, I appreciate these concerns. I just, I just ask that you'd please pray for me that I would be the pastor God wants me to be. That's all I said. Guess what? Not any of those issues were ever raised again. Because if I got up there and got in the flesh and defended everything that they said, that would have just raised the ante. But, but to, to, to treat them like God wanted them to be worked in that case. And I commend that to you in the area of conflicts this principle works in the workplace. Could I encourage you at the workplace to think the best of people? Give them the benefit of the doubt? Why do mistakes, negative one mistakes of the head, if you know what I mean, just a bad decision, all of a sudden rise to the level of a negative 10 mistake of the heart? Let's give people the, the benefit of the doubt, because God sometimes blesses bad decisions, but he never blesses bad attitudes. So if you had a superpower, what would it be? What would it be? Mine 
would be kindness. I would want my superpower to be kindness. We need a gentler, kinder word. And if I could choose something on my tombstone, which I can't, I would want to choose. You know, I never heard him say a negative thing about anybody. I challenge you to treat people the way you want them to become. Chances are they'll become that person. You see, there's so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us. It doesn't do any of us any good to talk about the rest of us. Let me repeat that. There's so much good in the worst of us and so much bad in the best of us. It doesn't do any of us any good to talk about the rest of us. If you treat people the way you want them to become, chances are they'll become that person, and you get more with honey than vinegar. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And it is the kindness of God that has led us to repentance. And because of God's kindness, because of what Jesus paid for us, we're motivated to become that person he has saved us to be with reference to our vertical relationship with Jesus, and then our horizontal relationship with others as we put on kindness. You've heard about acts of kindness, particularly to those outside the kingdom as a, as a bridge builder to them. Well, what about acts of kindness within the fam, a family of faith and your own family? Let's start there. If it doesn't work at home, let's don't export it. So this principle looks like, as Matt alluded to earlier, encouraging one another, praying for one another, praising others, treating others with respect and love, expressing appreciation to others, and holding out God's preferred future to them. You are Peter, you're a pebble, you're Cephas, but I'm going to change your name Cephas to Peter the Rock, and I'm going to build my church on you. Imagine the impact that had in Peter's life. As we see something in others, they don't see in themselves, allowing us to be used by the Lord to enrich their lives so that they rise up to become all God's called them to be in Jesus. And as we treat people the way we want them to become, chances are they'll become that person. Folks, anybody can be divisive and argumentative and distrusting, gripe, complain, and gossip. I show you a more excellent way, the way of love. Let's get off people's back and on their team, be who Jesus has called us to be and encourage others. God bless you. Have a great weekend. I love you. Have a great day. Turn around, they were up there to remind me. I've seen regret, the kind that messes with your head. 100.7, The Word. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.